Join over 350,000 people just like you who are taking control of their wellness journey with Viome. When it comes to choosing the right food and supplements for you, don't guess, test. With Viome's health intelligence test, you get over 30 health insights based on your unique biology and your gut microbiome. You also receive personalized food recommendations and precision supplements formulated literally just for you. Use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off a health intelligence test. Visit Viome.com to shop now. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius Podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Michael Slepian. He has a really interesting book called The Secret Life of Secrets, How Our Inner Worlds Shape Our Well-Being, Relationships, and Who We Are. So curious to get into it. So, Michael, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's an unusual thing. How do you end up writing a book on secrets? What, uh, what's good <laughs> about your, your background? First, you do 10 years of research on secrecy. The, the way I started this program of research was I wasn't interested in secrecy at first. I was interested in metaphor. And in my earliest studies, I was looking at people have this curious way of talking about secrets. They'll describe a secret as something that can weigh you down. You can have a heavy secret or a weighty secret. And my first study was just looking at if people talk about secrets in this way, does it reflect something deeper? Do they think about secrets in this way? And in those very early studies, we had people think about a secret that they were keeping and then answer questions that we know do vary with actually being physically encumbered. So if people are fatigued or carrying something heavy, they'll judge hills the steeper and distances farther because now it requires more effort to scale a hill or to walk a distance. And sure enough, when participants were thinking about secrets, they judged hills as steeper and distances as farther and tasks seemed to require more effort. So that simply thinking about a secret seemed to bring online this sense of burden. Um, and then this would become this major clue. Wait a minute, maybe there's something more to the story than, than hiding in conversation as to why our secrets hurt. What do you think that is? Why, why do secrets appear to be burdensome to people? The old idea was that it's because of the hiding that, you know, it's stressful to be in a conversation and to have to carefully choose your words or hold something back. That turns out to though be not the hard part. 
we when we keep a secret our intention is to hold back information you know if it ever comes up comes up to to not reveal it and we're pretty prepared for these moments uh when a secret might be relevant to a conversation but what we're not prepared for are all the other moments when our mind returns to the secret when we don't need to hide it and it turns out that the simply the more our mind returns to the secret outside of these moments of hiding is where the harms begin but when does someone's mind go back to a secret do they just think about it periodically in the you know in quiet times with themselves or when do people it, tend to go back to them it comes back to this intention where the intention to have a secret is to hold information back and so what it means to have an intention is you're going to be on the lookout for for anything in your environment related to that intention so for example if your intention is to eat healthy and you know someone asks whether you want salad or fries with that you're going to be reminded of that intention and this is how your mind you want your mind to work you want it to be easily reminded of your intentions because you need to act on those intentions and so this is what helps us be especially sensitive to our secret in conversation so we can conceal it if required but this increased sensitivity toward things related to our secret means we'll also be thinking about our secrets in moments when it's not relevant when we're just simply on our own time and so essentially any anything that our secret might be related to can easily remind us of the secret have you been able to uh classify different types of secrets and if so what uh, which ones appear to be more burdensome than others so the first step of answering that question um, is to understand what are the common secrets people keep and it turns out that you can really well describe essentially the entire universe of what people commonly keep secret with just 38 categories of secrets. Um, you, this is something you could fit on a single sheet of paper. And we got these categories from essentially asking a couple of thousand people, what's the secret you're currently keeping? And we looked at the most common themes that emerged in those responses. And those included secrets about, you know, romantic desire, money, sex, as won't be a surprise, family secrets, the common secret, ambitions, um, violations of others, trust, romantic discontent, secret hobbies, and so on. I could keep going. And so what's useful about knowing that there's this set of secrets that we all commonly keep, we can give people this list and say, hey, which of these secrets are you currently keeping? And it turns out that from this list of 38, the average person at any given point in time has 13 of the secrets from this list. And so one thing we do a lot in the research is generalize across this, the different kinds of secrets people keep. And so when I say, you know, the hard part of secrecy is having our mind return to the secret, not having to conceal it in conversation. That's something that holds across all these different categories of secrets. Now, as far as the question, do some hurt more than others? To answer that question, we essentially need a way to arrange these 38 categories of secrets. And it turns out that people see these secrets as differing from each other in three primary ways. Um, one is how morally wrong the secret is. Another is how much the secret involves your relationships with other people. And the third is how much the secret is related to your goals and aspirations. And where your secret sits across those three dimensions is related to how harmful it is. So what are some of the most harmful type of secrets you've seen? And harmful meaning what they cause a lot more rumination or like what are yes. the head of secrets harm people that you observed? So those, those three dimensions each correspond with a harm. And so the more morally wrong we believe a secret to be, the more we experience shame. 
the more a secret feels personal and you know individual, the more isolating that secret is. And then the more the secret seems not based in any specific goal, but just you know feeling and emotion, the the less insight we feel we have into the secret. And so of those three harms, shame, isolation, and uncertainty, you know, probably shame and isolation are the more harmful of the of the three. And shame in particular is is particularly bad for you. And so certainly the more your secret feels immoral, that we're going to see some harm there as a function of shame. And we see that it's not the more we conceal our secrets that leads to these three harms, but it's the more we mind wander to these secrets that we experience feelings of shame, isolation, and uncertainty. Have you come up with like a, a secret revealing therapy or is there such a thing where people are encouraged, encouraged to, uh, you know, to give them up, let's say to a, a party that's bound not to talk about them, you know, like a therapist or something? The thing about having a secret is that when we choose to be alone with something, we often don't develop healthy ways of thinking about it. And an easy way to find a healthier way of thinking about a secret is to talk to someone else. Now, you don't have to reveal your secret to the person you are hiding it from. But if you discuss the secret with the third party, people report that that typically is quite helpful. Um, someone has to respond very negatively for you to regret confiding a secret. And the most common response to confiding a secret is a helpful one. Someone can give you emotional support or advice or guidance. And these are things that are hard to find on your own, but really easily come out of conversations with others. Are you able to say, I mean, it's up to you, obviously, but are you able to say how you thought about doing this book and what your background is? Or if not, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's, that's top secret. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a social psychologist and, you know, I've always been interested in how people think about people. When we started learning, uh, when I started doing this secrecy research, and those very first studies where we're looking at people's judgments of, of hills and, and so on. Um, when I would present to people that research, they would say, this is interesting, but is it secrecy? Surely to have to study secrecy, you need to bring two people into a room and have one person hide something from the other person. And so it was at that point that I realized we know almost nothing about secrecy and how it works. And the reason we at the time knew almost nothing about it is people just had this assumption of what it was. It was, it was moments of concealing and conversation and those prior studies would artificially create those situations. And so we're, we're looking at like artificial versions of one aspect of secrecy uh, without any questioning as to whether that was the right way to study secrecy. And is that even what secrecy looks like in the real world? And what we've seen is the answer is no. When I realized that we only have this very initial sense that maybe there's something about the hiding that's harmful, I realized we actually don't know what are the common secrets people will keep. We don't know how commonly people have secrets or how many people, how many secrets people have. We don't know how secrets affect people day to day. And when I started to come to that realization that some of the most basic questions hadn't been asked about secrecy, I started asking them. And 10 years later, here's this book. Actually, that, that brings up a question. So people that are in, you know, military or government and they do have to deal with classified stuff, um, how do they react versus having personal secrets? In some ways, it's similar to personal secrets, but there's some important differences too. And so we'll, we'll start with the differences. Um, when you have access 
to privilege, you know, when you have privilege access to information where you're being let in on something that only high status people uh, would get access to. Indeed, you feel it gives you a sense of status um, and importance that you've been trusted with this information and not just anybody can know this information. And so that's the good side of things that you can feel special in a degree of status from, from having access, privilege access to information. At the same time, if the consequences of this is now you can't talk to your friends about the work you do, if you can't tell your romantic partner about this like really big thing going on at work, people will report that that's isolating. And so we can feel isolated with our secrets that we're given on behalf of work as well. And so people experience some of the benefits, but you know, there's, there's some harms as well. So how do you want or how do you see your research is impacting people that uh, that carry these secrets is it helping them or is was more the point to just figure out why people are doing this and what they experience the starting point was just let's understand secrecy um but because what we were understanding it's how our secrets hurt us of course we now are also concerned with how can we help people use this information to do better and you know that includes things like being aware of the three different ways in which a secret might hurt you because if there's three ways a secret can hurt you this means that there's also three ways where a secret doesn't have to hurt you and helping people understand the ways in which a secret isn't hurting them really they find very helpful in finding a path forward on top of that is helping people understand when they shouldn't go it alone um, when they should talk about a secret with another person, even if they don't reveal it to the person they're keeping it from, because the typical response to being confided in helping people understand why that's helpful, and then also helping people understand who they should choose to confide their secrets in. Yeah, I mean, what about uh, someone you're in a relationship with, you confide something to them, and then later on, they betray you? Like, have you studied the betrayal part of secrets yet? Discover how your gut microbiome is impacting your cellular health, immune health, and how you're aging from the inside out with Viome's Health Intelligence Test. Collect your samples, send them to the Viome Lab, and within two to three weeks, your health scores and food and supplement recommendations will be available to you right in your Viome app. Visit Viome.com and use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off your health intelligence test. Yes. And so the, the finding is that if you confide your secret in someone who has a very different set of morals as you do, if they find what you're telling them to be very morally objectionable or, or immoral or wrong, they are more likely to pass on that secret to a third party, essentially as a way to punish what they see as, as wrongdoing. And so confiding secrets in, in people usually works out really well. Um, but to prove your chances of it going well, you want to choose someone who's not going to be scandalized by by what you're telling them because that could create problems for that person that could let, lead that person to betray your confidence and, and tell them. But if you choose someone who thinks about it in a similar way, who has a similar set of morals, they're more likely to keep the secret safe. What about people from different cultures or at different ages or stages of their life? How does it change for someone? So now we're at the forefront of, of what we know. We're doing this research right now, uh, looking at the role of culture. Age is an interesting one too, which, which we could touch on. Um, but the role of culture we see, for example, in more collectivistic communities, people feel more inauthentic for keeping secrets. And so we're just 
doing this research now and, and trying to understand why that's the case and, you know, what it means for helping people cope with their secrets. Age is an interesting one too, of course. And so we don't know, we pretty much don't know anything about how it develops throughout the adult lifespan. Um, so, you know, we don't know how secrecy changes from, you know, 20 year olds to 50 year olds really. Um, but we do have a good sense of how secrecy develops throughout childhood and adolescence and, and, in early childhood, secrecy essentially is less troubling because kids get into less trouble um, and keeping a secret is is very different in children. Where secret keeping in kids starts to look adult-like is when they hit adolescence, when they become overly concerned with, you know, social approval and become worried about saying the wrong thing and, and let fears eclipse the ability to place trust in people. That's when secrecy as we know it um, starts. The telling of secrets, is this incorporated into any types of therapy that you see, like cognitive behavioral therapy, or is it at all mainstream, or is this not oh, really yeah, it's, for in therapy? It's central, as as far as I understand it, to all therapy. I mean, it's it's about revealing those things so you can work on them. Okay. I don't know, any interesting experiments? Like, what if you get took uh, two strangers and had them meet, and they agree to each tell each other one secret? You know, and you, you you ran like a bunch of groups of people like this and then did like some kind of discussion. I don't know. Would that be interesting or revealing? Or uh, I hope it would be interesting because we, in fact, have run that study uh, where we brought some uh-huh. strangers into the laboratory. We showed them the list of the 38 categories of secrets. They indicated which secrets they were keeping from the list. And then we asked them, pick a secret, the most significant one you would be willing to reveal to this stranger in the other room. And so they both did this and then they get reunited into the same room. And then we say, all right, do it. Reveal your secret. And what we see is about 50% of the time people would reveal it. So, so the first thing to know is if you ask two strangers to reveal secrets to each other, they might say, no, uh, we're not going to do that. And that happened half the time. Another interesting finding was that if one person revealed the secret, the other person always also revealed a secret. And so maybe they felt that they had to reciprocate or maybe they both of them just felt comfortable. There was something about the interaction that made them both comfortable. But if one person revealed a secret, the other person also always revealed a secret. And then we looked at which kinds of secrets were more likely to be revealed. And it turns out that the more someone was worried about their secret, the more likely they were to reveal it and the more likely they were to feel better afterward. Yeah, why do you think there's uh, this thing in human nature, this compulsion to reveal secrets? Why do they want to work their way out of us? For some, you know, how come it's not easy to keep them? I think at the end of the day, we just don't want to be alone with our thoughts. And so even if it could bring these consequences that are not universally beneficial, um, you know, maybe someone thinks less of you is, is the worry. The thing to know is confiding usually goes far better than we imagine. Um, other people's impressions of us are nowhere near as fragile as we imagine. But yeah, we want to talk about our secrets because we don't want to be alone. Yeah, it makes sense. I was imagining someone asking you a question. You say, our secret research is proprietary. You know? <laughs> but so what, um, I don't know. Do you think that the research you're doing is, is very useful? Like how do other, well, how do academics or other companies or whatever find your research to be useful? Or how have you found that the world is, is taking your research in? Is it liking it? What's it thinking? I find it useful to, to take from the research that 
as isolating as it can feel to have a secret as alone as you can feel with a secret, we all keep the same kinds of secrets. And so we're not alone. And to know that the average experience of revealing a secret to someone else is a helpful one really makes the case pretty strongly that you're so much better off choosing someone to confide in. Uh, Sometimes it's also right to confess the secret to the person you're keeping it from. Um, If you're not sure whether you should do that, again, you could just talk to someone else. And so understanding what's so helpful about that helps people do better. You said the average person has 13 different secrets. So they keep... That's right, 13 from that list of 38. That's a lot. In in some ways... some people that that had like all 38? Was there anyone you were like, oh my God, all 38, you have all of them? Or was it just wanna, people stay there in the I, middle? Yeah, I should look at the data. Um, you know, 35, 36, uh, I've seen that before. Is there someone out there with all 38? Probably. <laughs> and so what's interesting about that is there's essentially two different ways to find yourself having multiple secrets, many secrets from this list. One is that you have a tendency to keep secrets. Uh, and so when something bad happens, you keep it a secret or when there's something you're struggling with, you keep it a secret. It turns out that using secrecy as a way to deal with problems is not healthy, as you might imagine. Another way to find yourself having more secrets is simply getting more involved in the kinds of situations that people might keep secret. And so that includes people who are really open to new experiences, um, people who are less conscientious. These sort of find themselves more in these situations and then keep them secret. So what's the future of um, of secrets and secret research? You, you said you were going to look at age and culture, but um, yeah, to you, what areas need to be explored? We certainly need to learn more about how secrets work in the workplace and, you know, as you mentioned, across the lifespan and and culture, really big questions. People have been asking me about gender for a very long time and, you know, I've, there's, it's probably time to look closely at what that might mean and for, for our secrets. The list just can go on and on. Um, how time impacts having a secret, um, you know, how it is a specific secret changes our relationship with that secret changes over time. There's so much to learn. Yeah. I saw a show once where they talked about duper's delight. I guess mm-hmm. people that had, I know one woman had like killed someone or something and, and she, she, her limbic system like made her laugh about it. She couldn't help it. And it, I guess the show was saying like some people delight somehow in keeping secrets from authorities or from other people. Have you observed that? I tend to look at sort of the the secrets that people keep and and how they affect them. That often means how it affects their well-being. Is there a world where keeping secrets brings this like really special feeling um, that helps your well-being? There is, but it's a very specific kind of secret. And, you know, that's kind of like hobbies that we keep to ourselves and we don't want other people to know about it because maybe we're a little embarrassed or maybe they wouldn't understand it. Um, you know, someone who plays video games but doesn't want other people to know or watches cartoons or, or what have you. And when people feel like it's something that they truly enjoy, but other people just won't get it, um, when they keep that kind of secret, it's kind of this special thing that you keep to yourself. And people do say that kind of secret it makes them feel good. I'm picturing um maybe like a game of secret charades, you know, where where someone, you know, they have to, we were only going to play along, but they have a secret and, you know, the other people in the game have to guess it. And they kind of do like a, you know, like a charades type of thing to guess the secret. Have you ever seen something like that? And 
I would imagine kids would do it, um, but and, and yeah. adults ever do that, or is that helpful to ever do something like that? There is Esther Perel has a game that is about essentially revealing your, yourself and and experiences to your partner. Um, so it's for romantic couples, and it it's tapping into this powerful idea that when we share our secrets with others, we deepen our relationships with them. You know, it's that's what it means to be in an intimate intimate relationship. You you share yourself. You open yourself up. You make yourself vulnerable. Do you um? I don't know. Do you, do you have anyone that has agreed to say like, I'm going to reveal everyone I can think of. I'm not going to hold anything back. And is that therapeutic to that person? There are a class of secrets where it's be- you're better off keeping them. So I, I'm not certain, I'm not saying that every single secret should be revealed. Um, you know what we call white lies. Most people agree that those do more benefit than harm um if you if the consequence of revealing something is it just needlessly hurts other people's feelings that's something that you don't really have much to gain in in revealing that secret um if you you know you're arriving at a party and and your friend asks you how their outfit looks and it's too late to change you know and you don't think it looks good that's that's not a truth you need to reveal right but for an individual maybe they're not revealing the secrets to the people that they're keeping the secrets from, but to a third party, there's that part of therapy to like, the person will agree, like, okay, I'll reveal everything to this, like psychologist or something. You know? One thing I take from my own research is I try to not have a secret that only I know. Um, so I do try to make sure if I have a secret, I talk about it with, with someone, someone I trust. Yeah. For some reason, I imagine what it would feel like if you knew what everyone in a given city knows. Like everything. What do you think that would be like? Would it be good, bad, horrible? I've seen this as a plot device in, in at least two different books. And oh. <laughs> what happens to the book, what happens to the books is like when all, if everyone's secrets get all revealed at once, like a bunch of people get divorced, a bunch of people like get estranged from their family. So, you know, is that what it would look like in the real world? I'm not sure, but you can imagine that even secrets that should be revealed there's an artful way of, of bringing them out into the open and probably just dumping them all at once uh, is probably not the most effective strategy. Well, if you were able to, again, like float above and, you know, you were God essentially in a way, kind of, and you knew everyone's secrets, like, do you think it would really be that terrible? Like, what kind of picture would they give you on a group of people? Well, I think we would learn that again, we all keep the same kinds of secrets and, you know, we're not alone in the secrets we keep. Yeah. What, what is one of the, um, the 13 average secret types that I don't know, like that you find mystifying or seems to be the most impactful to people or the most difficult to reveal? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I don't find any of them mystifying, but you know, there's certain ones. I don't know if there's any particular secret that's more harmful than the others. That's, that's the thing that 38 categories is too many to ask that question. That's why we reduce it down to the three dimensions. Um, one of the interesting ones, um, in fact, the secret that people most commonly never tell anyone about is what I call extra relational thoughts. That is, you're in a romantic relationship and you have a romantic thought of some kind about another person. And people will report that this can feel like a secret. And, and 
it's interesting because it's just a thought, uh, not an action, but even that can feel like a secret. Hey, what about um, secrets that are forced upon people? Like someone's a bully and they say, if you tell anyone, I'll, I'll beat you up or I'll do something terrible to you, you know, or for yeah, your but- job, you have to keep secrets. Like what, what's the psychological dynamic of those? So someone, if a person, you know, outside of a workplace context asks you to hold back a secret, um, but it's involving someone getting harmed, I think that's a pretty clear situation that that is not a secret you should keep. That's something you should reveal to someone um, if someone's being hurt. In the workplace context, it's a bit different, of course. There you're, you're keeping a secret for some, you know, important organizational outcome. And so, you know, those do operate differently. While they can feel isolating, you know, people do feel that sense of status that comes with those. I don't know if you did this, but you know, it'd be cool is if you have a special secret bonus chapter of your book. You can only <laughs> get if you read it, you know, like you have to read a certain words on line seven on page 84, you know, to reveal the secret chapter. <laughs> build into your book. You know? Yeah, that would require writing another chapter. But yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. Well, very good. So. Like, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and to engage with you? What do they do? Yeah. So you can go to michaelslepian.com. That's just my name. Or you can go to keepingsecrets.org. And if you go there, that's where you can look at the 38 categories of secrets. You can take the survey yourself and, and see how the secrets you keep compared to other people of the same age or gender. Um, or you can look up the book, The Secret Life of Secrets. Very cool. Well, it's been a really interesting call. Thanks for coming. Great. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Don't forget, before you go, use code GENIUS at Viome.com for an additional $20 off your health intelligence test and get started on your health journey with the right foods, supplements, and probiotics and prebiotics for your unique biology. Get a deeper look within with Viome's health intelligence test. Viome, you decoded. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.